During the mid-1800s, there was um, a theory that was out called spontaneous generation. Basically, what spontaneous generation was, was the idea that non-living microorganisms, they didn't call it back then, non-living microorganisms, they they would just sort of appear on people's skin, within the animals, different things. They they would just sort of appear, and they they came out of nothing, and they would go from non-living to living. And they would just all of a sudden show up. And, And it was held to be basically, basically true. Until Louis Pasteur came along in 1862 and did a bunch of experiments, and he came up with the germ theory of disease. See, the other one, the, the other one, the spontaneous generation idea was that there was, that was a spontaneous generation of disease that disease sort of just all of a sudden happened. He came up with a germ theory of disease, that there were these tiny little microorganisms that you cannot see, that there were these tiny little things that were invisible that could have a great impact on the visible world. That there were these tiny little things that, that, that you couldn't see, invisible, invisible to us that would cause havoc in the visible world. The indivisible world of germs that could come in and destroy life. So Louis Pasteur and his colleagues, know what they started to do? They started to wash their hands before they did surgery. They would do one surgery and they would wash their hands after doing that surgery and then they would go and do the next surgery. And they would place people in quarantine. If they had a certain disease, they would place people in quarantine. Now, For many people back then, this sounded so weird. Why are you bothering washing your hands? What does that have to do with anything? Why would you bother doing that? Why would you quarantine some people off to the side if they had certain symptoms and certain disease? Why would you do that? And then people could not gather on because how could the invisible world impact the visible world? How could that which you cannot see impact that which you can see? Now, for many people today... All of us, all of us here, basically believe in the germ theory of disease, right? Why I know this? Because we are addicted, right? I mean, I've I've even gotten um, emails, and I'm not sure if these emails are true, about um, little kids getting drunk on Perel, you know? Getting, you know, they, they, you know, their mothers lather their kids down to make sure they don't get any disease at all. I, you know, you know they, they, we, we believe in this, don't we? You don't want your doctor to do surgery on you and then go to the next person and not wash his hands, right? I mean, you don't want, I mean, you want your doctor to do that, right? I mean, we, that's why we have septic and sewage systems, you know, is, is because we, I believe, we believe that the invisible world can impact the visible world. We believe that the invisible world of germs can impact the visible world of life. That's why there was such a ruckus over the man who had tuberculosis, right? And he traveled across the world, and he had this tuberculosis that, that was untreatable, okay? Uncurable. And there's all kinds of ruckus all across the news. Because why? The invisible world impacts the visible world. And we believe that the invisible world of germs have the potential to destroy lives, have the potential of messing us up, 
The world of disease, of this invisible world, can cause death of hundreds of thousands of people. That the invisible world of germs can travel across continents and can tra- travel across oceans and impact the world. We believe that, don't we? That the invisible world impacts the visible world. Now, the Bible speaks of another invisible world. It speaks of another invisible world that impacts the visible world. This invisible world has the potential to destroy life. This invisible world has the potential to mess up your life and my life relationally, emotionally, physically, socially, It has ways of coming into our lives to really, really destroy cultures and governments. And the invisible world comes to destroy everything that is valuable to humanity, such as relationships, and everything that's valuable to God. Now, some of you are thinking, you're telling me that there's this invisible world out there that impacts the visible world? You're telling me that there's something out there Something out there that we don't have any control over that, 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 that impacts us, that, that the Bible talks about that? I mean, we, we love the parts about the Bible that says things like, love your neighbor, particularly if you're the neighbor. You know, we, we, we love those passages. We love those passages that say, children, obey your parents. We love those passages. We love those passages that tell us that the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. We love that part. But that Bible, same Bible says that the invisible world, that there is an invisible world that impacts the visible world. And you don't need a microscope to see this invisible world. All you need is a rearview mirror. All you need to do is look back on your life. And I can do the same, look back on my life. And look at a time when I was making a decision, coming to a conclusion, making a plan, And thinking, as I look back on it, it made such perfect sense then. It made perfect sense. But now when I look in the rearview mirror, I think to myself, how could have I been so what? Stupid. How could have I been so stupid? How could I have been so confused that I actually thought that that that, that, that was the right decision? How could I be so confused that that decision way back here in in that rearview mirror was a good decision? It was a healthy decision. How could have I even thought that that was a good idea? But at the time, under those circumstances, around those people during that time, it made such perfect sense to me. And maybe all that you need is not a rearview mirror. Maybe if you look in the mirror right now, and you were to look in the mirror right now, you'd say, what am I doing? You look in the mirror and you say, where did my mind go last night? Why did I do that? What was I thinking? And now there's truths that in this room that are so self-evident, you're wondering, what was I thinking? What was I doing? How could I have been so confused? How could I have been so deceived? How did life get so twisted? Or maybe you look at someone you love, someone you care about right now, 
And you see the path that they're taking. You, you're seeing the decisions that they're making. And you're saying, whoa, 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 stop the truck. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because the path you're taking is going to bring so much pain. The path that you're taking. But yet to them, in their own little world, in their own little time, right then, in that very, very moment, they're thinking, this all makes sense. And yet you know, from looking from the outside, you know it's a train wreck that's going to happen. You know it is. And yet in their little world, in their little mental thought processes, at that time, it all makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to them. Because there's a twist. Look at the history of our nation and world. How could we have thought that that was a good idea? That the destructions of millions of lives was a good idea. How could we have, at a time that it, that it might have made sense, it might have felt like it was the smart thing to do, but when we look back at it, we say, what were we thinking? How did we go there? Because there's a twist. Because there's a deception. See, not everybody, though, gets caught in a twist, do they? Not everybody does. You see lives and you say, you know what? I want a life like that. I want a marriage like that. I want a relationship like that. I want a friend like that. You've seen them. Every once in a while, I mean, very few, very few. But you see their lives and you say, you know what? I wish my life was more like that. Because they don't buy into the twist. They're, They're unique people. But they are the exceptions. See, the truths that are so evident in this room this morning, we walk out into our culture, we walk out into the world, we walk out on, and, and look at the television, we look at the internet. And when we walk out there, those, those truths that were so self-evident here become twisted. Not all of them, but just enough of them that there is some kind of wreck in our lives. Some kind of wreck. It's going to happen. Now, Jesus gives us an explanation of this invisible world. Now, now some of you are here new, and you're going, oh, Jeff, I knew these people were weird, but I don't realize it. Okay, but, but we're going to go here. And we're going to see what Jesus believed about this subject. Now, you might not agree with it. You may not, 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 not even buy into it, but I want to, this is what Jesus believed. And it's in the Gospel of John. Now, John is the apostle that is known as the the beloved apostle of Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved. The apostle John is the one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd letters of John and also wrote the book of Revelation. Very close relationship. In John, we have great passages of Scripture. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, where we're going to be looking at, it it has that, that, that phrase that goes, and the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free, right? And we love that verse. Politicians love that verse. We don't, a lot of people don't know where it comes from, but it comes from Jesus in John chapter 8. We love that verse. Or maybe, maybe in, in John also, Jesus says these words. Um, um, John 3.16. For God, thanks for helping me out. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, what, believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Don't we, don't we just love that verse? Don't we just think that that verse is a great verse? Don't we just want to say, boy, that verse is, 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 is wonderful? 
And if you love that Jesus sayings that are easy, you can't just throw out those that are hard. And so we're going to look at John chapter 8. And I want to set up what's happening here because what's happening here is a discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders. These religious leaders should have been the first to get who Jesus was, but they're not getting who Jesus was. They don't know who Jesus is. And they're, and they're, and they're, they're, they're going back and forth to this argument saying that you know, Jesus is saying that God's his father and God sent him. And, and they're saying, no, no, you wouldn't know who I am if, if, if you were of God. If you knew who God was, you would know who I am. And, and they're saying, well, we're, the, we're, we're children of Abraham. Matter of fact, we're, 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 our father is God. Himself, and, and this argument is going on back and forth. And so we jump in to verse 42 and we see why they don't recognize him for who he says he is. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. The religious leaders claimed that God was their father, but Jesus says, Well, let's look at this. Now look at the next verse, verse 43. Why is my language not clear to you? Why aren't you getting this? Am I speaking a foreign language? No. Then he asks this question. Because you're unable to hear what I say, you can't hear, you you, you don't have any, you know, are you deaf? No, that's not it. Now this is what Jesus believes. You... Belong to your father, the devil. Now talk about how to make friends and influence people. I mean, just think about it. They're having this argument over Abraham God thing, and, and now he goes, your father is the devil. How well will that go down? Imagine, how could you bring that up in a discussion with your friends? Your father is the devil. I mean, you just, you just don't do that. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And you want to carry out your father's desires. You belong to, your source is, the father of you is the devil. And you want to carry out what he desires. And then it says, he. Right? Now, it's interesting to me that people today will argue whether God is a he or a she. But you never hear anyone, or no book has ever been published, to say whether the devil is not a he. Just a thought. Just a thought. There's no argument about that. But let's say he was a murderer from the beginning. He was a destroyer. Jesus tells these religious leaders that their father is a devil, and this devil is a murderer and a destroyer. He wants to kill you in every way he possibly can. He wants to come after you. And matter of fact, he is coming after you. He is a roaring lion seeking to devour you. He is a murderer and a destroyer. And then it continues on. It says, not holding to the truth, For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, Jesus believed that there was a he, an identity, a person that he called the devil. Who was a liar and a murderer. That's what Jesus believed. 
He didn't believe that it was some kind of little mystical dust here or the, you know, sort of the dark side of the force kind of thing. No, this is a person, an identity, an individual who is a murderer and a liar. And these religious leaders are children of the devil. Because we will find out later in the book that what do they do? They lie about who Jesus is. And then they kill Jesus. All right? Jesus believes that Satan, the devil, is the destroyer and his tool is deception. His tool is deception. His goal is to kill, to destroy, to take you out of your marriage, to take you out in your family relationships, to take you out in your church fellowship, to take you out. And the means by which he's going to do this, the primary tool in his tool chest, if it not only, not the only tool in his tool chest, is lying, deception, deceit. Just give you a couple more passages to look at, just to, to add this all up. Look at John 14, 30. John 14, 30. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming he has no hold on me. See, Jesus believes that the prince of the world, and, and, and in the context, you would see that that is the devil, the one who has authority here. For some, he has some type of authority. Maybe, maybe we can also look at another passage from Luke, Luke chapter um, 4, verses 5 and 6. This is when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and this is the last temptation here. And it goes, uh, of those, those, there he goes, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him all, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I, give you, I will give you all authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Jesus does not argue that Satan, the devil, has the authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Do you see that? Jesus will not argue with you. If you look in the passage, he doesn't argue with that. Who gave him that authority? We did. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, before that, they were given dominion. And whenever they sinned, whenever they were deceived, what happened? We handed over some part of the authority to them, to the Satan. We handed over. We gave it to him. And this destroyer, this liar from the beginning, from the very earliest of days, is a person, an identity. You and I live on a planet in some way under the authority of who Jesus calls the devil. This devil's agenda is the end of human life and his tool is deception. In some way, he must be limited to twisting the truth, by turning the truth, by, by just sort of shifting it just a little. And the means by which he keeps his authority is by more and more deception, more and more deceit. Now, I don't understand all this. You know, I, I really don't. But every Sunday, I mean, I really don't understand how this works exactly. You know, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that moms believe in it. Okay? But I come up here every Sunday morning. I put this little plastic thing on. 
And I always say some things I don't understand. And it's not just because I, my mind's goofed up. I don't understand everything about God. I certainly don't understand everything about Satan, nor do I even want to. And I know that this is disconcerting, isn't it? That the authority over the world, over this planet, is in the hands of the devil who wants to destroy, whose primary means is deception. Doesn't that that bother you? But in some ways, isn't it helpful? Isn't it helpful to know that? That maybe if we know that there's a devil out there who wants us dead and that his method is deception, then maybe we will factor that in when we are tempted. Maybe we'll factor that in in how we handle our relationships. Maybe we will factor that in on how we handle our finances. Maybe we will factor that in when the messages of the media come to our way and we're not blindly to follow. Maybe we will factor that in, that there's a devil who is a murderer and a destroyer, a liar and a deceiver, and that you and I might factor it in. Maybe there is an invisible world that impacts the visible world. These religious leaders will do that lying and murdering. And they'll do it to Jesus Christ. And 30 years later, a very, very smart man named Paul writes, who writes the majority of the New Testament, comes and talks to us in a little book called The Letter to the Church at Ephesus. And in this book, this little letter to the church at Ephesus, he says some wonderful things. He says... For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. We love that verse, don't we? We don't have to earn it. I mean, it's a wonderful verse. We love that verse. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Parents, don't overdo your punishment on your kids. And, you know, we love those verses, right? We love them. Speak the truth in love. Those verses are all in Ephesus. book of Ephesus, the Ephesians. And then he says this in the last chapter. He says this, verse 11. Put on, finally brothers, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that he can, you can take your stand against the devil's what? Schemes. What does he have there? Scheme. He has a plan. He has a strategy. Now, Paul, come on. You're a smart dude here. I mean, you went to school. You know, you're, you're smart. You grew up in a metropolitan city. Come on, this is fairy tale land. Not according to Paul. Paul doesn't think this is fairy tale land. Paul actually thinks that this whole devil thing is real and that he has a plan and that he has a strategy, that he has a will that he's trying to enforce. See, what he wants to do is take the truth and just twist it a little bit. He wants to take things like your appetites, all right, and twist it just a little bit and make it an addiction. He wants to take the God-given desires, twist it just a little bit, and turn it into greed. See, say he wants to take, take, take what is appealing, twist it just a little bit, And turn it into jealousy. He wants to take that which is appreciated. And twist it just a little bit. And turn it into lust. 
Let's twist people's view of God, he says. So that I can be angry at God. So that, there's that so, so I can be angry at God and blame him for the consequences of the actions that I chose to do. This is twisted just a little bit. So, so, so that I can be angry at God and say, God, you, I'm angry at you because all these consequences have come upon my life from the decisions that I made. But just twist it just a little bit. Just twist it just a little bit. See, there's a scheme. There's a plan. There's a strategy. And if you are in the middle of some kind of relational issue, I want you to factor in something else. Look at another factor. Look at verse 12 of of 6 of of Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. See, it's not just your prodigal son or daughter. It's not just your husband. It's not just your wife. It's not just your friend. It's not just your coworker. It's not just your neighbor. There is an invisible world that impacts your visible world. That's what Paul believed. We think that Paul is such a, you know, how could he believe that? Because he lived it. He knew what was happening. He could see it happening. He knew that there was a deceiver and a murderer and a liar. Now, some of you are thinking, some are thinking, boy, I'm so glad you talked about this, Jeff, because I wasn't even sure you believed in the devil. You know, because some of you thought, oh, you know, that there was a devil. And, and some of you are thinking, Boy, that, that, this has been, you know, I've been confused. Now I can go home, and whenever my husband and I get in an argument, I can look at my husband and say, your father is the devil. You know, and that'll settle the problems. But some of you are coming, and maybe this is your first time in church in a long time, and wondering, why did I even come here? I knew these people were freaky and... Devil, pitchfork, red. I mean, what is he talking about? You know, this devil thing. And I can understand why you're skeptical. Know why? Because it's invisible. It's invisible. But, and, and besides that, you have your own explanations. You have your own explanations for why a person's addicted. You have your own explanations for why your first marriage didn't work out. You have your own explanations for for why you did A, B, C, or D. And they work pretty well. But whenever whenever, whenever you really look at some things in this world in which we live in, when you really look, isn't there some things that are just plain evil? Aren't there just some things? Aren't there just some things that without a devil... When you drill down deep, how can you explain? Like a dad who takes his family in a car, drives off the road, shoots his three kids, his wife, and then shoots himself. That's evil. And at the time, it made perfect sense to him. In that moment, 
Now, I, can un- I, mean, I, I understand when something's something in a fit of rage, but there was a plan. This guy had to plan this baby out, didn't he? He had a strategy. This wasn't some little haphazard little deal on the side. He thought about it. Or how about this one? How about a, a group of men get together and over years, over years, plan on how to drive a passenger jet into a business building. Years. And they think it's going to make God happy. That's evil. Isn't it? That's evil. How do you explain that without a devil who's twisting the truth? Years ago, I went to America's Georgia to see the um, POW um, National Museum, Prisoner of War National Museum. And the evil that was implanted from one person to another person. Torture that was planned. Torture that was strategized. Torture that was placed into focus. Torture that was, was going to be used against an evil, or used against the other person. To where people would lose a ton of weight or die. How do you explain the Holocaust without a devil? When the Germans of today, Germany people of today, German people of today look back at the Holocaust, they think, what were we thinking? What what were we thinking? Planned, systematic, organized, mass murder. Or how about in Darfur today? Where women are raped, where where men are castrated, where children's arms and legs are chopped off, hands are chopped off. All in order to get their way and all in order for them to, to, to somehow accomplish their purpose. That's horrible. That's twisted. I mean, how do you explain child pornography? How do you explain that? Child prostitution. How do you explain that without the devil? How do you explain this kind of a world in which we live? And when you drill down deep, you have to see that there's a person. There's an identity. There's one who has a strategy and a plan to murder people. To murder their lives. Oh, it doesn't matter whether or not you you live another 70 years. They'll just screw up your life so good that they'll just stay screwed up. There's an awful lot of people who died at 18 and get buried at 70. Because they got twisted. Because of twist. That is why I lean hard, lean hard into the teachings of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. Because there is a devil who is a destroyer and a deceiver. That's why I lean hard into that. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why one of your prayer my prayer needs to be, Lord, keep falsehood from me. Keep lies from me. Keep deceit from me. Help me, Lord God, to see as you see so that I can do as you say. 
See, I'm not concerned about the devil coming in someday or a bunch of people coming in someday and and blasting us away and shooting us and knocking us off. I think some some people people get all worked up about that. That's not Satan's strategy. Because see, Satan's strategy is twist the truth enough, just twist it enough so he doesn't show you his hand. Just enough so he doesn't show you what he's about. Just enough to make you justify whatever you want to do. I'm not concerned about Satan showing up in some kind of Halloween costume. No, no, no. You know what I'm concerned about? Is believing a lie. Being deceived. Taking something that is truthful, getting it twisted just a little bit. Just a little bit. And when it gets twisted just a little bit, and I get deceived, then it leads me down a path to destruction. Jesus came to destroy Satan's power. As a matter of fact, he's won the war. He won it on an old wooden cross. And in an empty, borrowed tomb. For it says in the book of Hebrews, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus, or he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery because of the fear of death. That's why Jesus came. He came to set you free. His truth will set us free. He came to defeat the devil and his power over us. And we need to grab a hold and lean hard into his teachings. Lean hard into the person of Jesus Christ so that we will not be deceived. We will not go wayward. We will not bring destruction on ourselves, our families, our community, our nation, 